It's episode 52 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. San Francisco has gained a new guardian, but learning a new city may prove to be a challenge when Daredevil is thrown into a chase with a life on the line. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. This is episode 52, and I am Dave, also known as J. David Weeder, and this is the third installment of Daredevil 101. We are halfway through at the end of this episode. And Daredevil 101 is all number ones, all the time. Giving some great starting points for newer lapsed fans of Daredevil coming out to us from the Netflix series. In addition, you can actually win a digital copy of this week's issue by simply sharing the show on Facebook or Twitter to be entered into a drawing, and about middle of the week I will be drawing a winner to, of course, receive this through Comixology, courtesy of me. And I love tacos. Yeah, I'm sometimes one for Segway material, sometimes I'm not. I love tacos, I love comics, and I love tacos and comics. This seems out of left field, I know. But here's the thing. About a year ago, I locked my keys in the car when I stopped at a video store. Just wanted a copy of a DVD... Lo and behold, I left the keys in the console, so I'm stuck. Luckily, the mall was nearby, so I could just wait for a few hours for my wife to get off work, bring the spare key, all is well. What this left me with was some spare time, though. So in a bid to pass that time, I got some tacos from Taco Bell, fired up my Marvel Unlimited with some Captain America, and this has become a tradition. Some downtime, some tacos, and Captain America. reason I bring this up is not just to share, it's also to sort of mention that You know, I talk a lot about the perch I had as a kid where I would read my comics, just sitting at the top of the steps, enjoying myself, relaxing, and this has become one of the more modern equivalents of that. There's nothing much to it. Taco Bell isn't incredibly expensive. Marvel Unlimited's already paid. I've got all the Captain America comics I want, and then some. And it's more, you know, it it harkens back to that idea of the simple pleasure of just reading a comic and enjoying it, because a lot of times, for myself, and I know there's this has got to be true for other people, we tend to forget the joy of just simply reading the comics and get focused on collecting, completing runs, getting complete collections, etc. And this has become a great way to remind myself that it's okay to pull out a random issue of Captain America and just enjoy a comic book. It's that simple. It's why I'm in this hobby, is just to enjoy it. Kind of the reason I do this show. Read Daredevil comics, talk about them, enjoy them. Not necessarily in that order. There's also a flip side to that. There are a lot of people who are uncomfortable reading comics in public. Admittedly, I do have spots where I'm like, eh, probably not the most reader-friendly spot. For example, Starbucks, uh, if I take in a physical comic, I tend to get this the stink eye. Now, depending on my mood that day, I either just take the hint and quietly take my coffee and go somewhere else quiet, or I just decide to give him the bird, read my comic like a gangsta. Both are appropriate, to be honest with you. There's no need to be ashamed of reading comics in public, but there's no need to really be defiant. There's no real point in that. Either way, my point is, 
We all have these moments of zen, these little nuggets of sanity that we look for week to week. And you know what? If you have that, take it where you find it. It can be as simple as tacos and Captain America. It really can. And that is your public service message for this week. This week, Daredevil 101 brings us another great issue from Mark Wade, And it's one that I'm really excited to talk about once again. It's sort of the sequel to the run we talked about last week. And it's a high-octane issue, which takes Daredevil to a new city. Which means I get to fire up Google Maps so you have something to look forward to there. Before we go to break and talk about that issue, a couple of things I spotted last week when editing the episode. As I was going through and doing a proof listen, I wondered if my speed of my player was off because I sounded like I was talking a mile a minute. Now, admittedly, this is something that I do. I get excited, I get in the moment, and I just talk really fast, which isn't great for presentation. So last week, yes, I talked really fast. I got excited. I may have had a little bit of Red Bull before the recording, an ill-advised amount at that. So I do apologize for that. So I will endeavor to slow my roll a little bit. And in addition to that, I also found one spot that, well, you know, sometimes I'll leave stammers in. I'll leave some things that aren't terribly egregious, but don't necessarily sound as polished as possible. Just because that's the nature of the beast. This is a little bit more free flow than what I used to do podcast-wise. I usually have sparse notes because I want it to be a discussion rather than reading a script. This sometimes leads me into some rants or some tangents, or just a ill-advised bout of a random thought being thrown on the table mid-recording. Which typically I encourage in myself because, you know, it's easier to cut stuff than to actually struggle for a decent length, a good solid length of an episode. As such, though, you do find from time to time there are things that, well, they're not quite worth pulling the entire file apart and redoing. Because, you know, that can be timely. If it's one little thing, I tend to say, okay, I'm going to live with that. Last week, towards the end of the episode, I was talking about Mark Wade's run of Daredevil being available for about 50 bucks on Comixology. You probably heard me repeat myself. Not the biggest thing, but I do want to point out that, yes, I am aware it's there. Rather than go back in, re-upload the file, tear it apart, etc., I decided to let it go. So you got a little piece of Unpolished Dave, a little bit of a background on what it really sounds like when I record this thing. There's a reason that two-fourths of podcasting is editing, and that's just because I want to keep it free-flow, which is why sometimes you'll hear me mispronounce words, my sentence structure isn't all thought out, because I'm going by, again, sparse notes just to keep it spur of the minute and keep it organic and, and on that level as a discussion rather than a presentation. So I do apologize for that and talking really, really fast. But with that out of the way, again, I'm excited about this week's episode. So I'm going to play a quick promo for a new podcast, and then I'll be back in just a few moments. Hey, podcast fans. This is Mike and Brad from the Hornet's Nest podcast. Do you like the Green Hornet? Do you enjoy the 1966 Green Hornet series that starred Van Williams and Bruce Lee? How about the old-time Green Hornet radio episodes, the movie cliffhangers, and the comic books? If you do, you're going to love our show. We cover all aspects of the Green Hornet. We also have a segment called Outside the Hive, where we talk about comic book-related materials like movies, TV shows, and some of our favorite comic book titles. That's right, Mike. Our show has something for everyone. So check out our podcast at www.hornetsnestpodcast.podbean.com. 
That's www.hornetsnestpodcast.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes. So go on, check it out. It's all free, and you'll be glad you did. And we have returned to talk about Daredevil number one from March of 2014, which means this is the most current issue I've ever covered on this show. At just under a year old, it's really still fairly new. So I will go ahead and throw a spoiler warning on this issue. Now with this, what we're seeing is a relaunch that was a little unlike the others. Last week I mentioned that the Daredevil number one in 2011 came about because of a, a kind of little bit of a freshening of certain titles. Later that same year, Marvel initiated their Marvel Now push. What this was was not just a freshening, not really a reboot, but almost a line-wide tune-up of all of their titles. A lot of titles starting from number one, a lot of combination titles. For example, Captain America got a new volume. Both Fantastic Four and the Avengers kicked over into a new volume. X-Men, etc. Daredevil at that time did not relaunch. Mainly because, well, that really was a young title at that point. It was mid-storyline. So even though it bore a Marvel Now logo, it was not a relaunch. The second iteration of Marvel Now was called All New Marvel Now. And again, we saw a lot of titles introduced or reintroduced and rebooted. And here is where Daredevil number one began because it happened to coincide with a perfect breaking point in Mark Wade and Chris Samney's story. And hence, following the Daredevil Road Warrior digital comic, we got Daredevil number one, which has a cover, well, it has multiple covers, to be honest with you, but the main cover is by Chris Samney. And it's another Daredevil swinging cover. However, instead of New York, we actually have Daredevil swinging across the Golden Gate Bridge. That's right, he's changed his location. And the cover really holds a lot of energy. To me, it has a real Steranko vibe, and Samney's Daredevil, the way he draws it, shouldn't work. It should really work against the character and the, just the way he's been visually presented historically. However, even though Samney's Daredevil is all angles and not rounded and not traditional, it really works. It's a great look for the character, not rebooted. Much like I mentioned last week, we're not seeing anything that's reinventing the wheel with the character, just replacing spokes and doing a tune-up to this very same existing wheel. It's a great cover, and I'm going to talk about the other covers in a moment. But looking at the story, it has no title, but it was written by Mark Wade with pencils and inks by Chris Samney. The letterer was Joe Caramagna, which I believe I mispronounced last week, and the colorist was Javier Rodriguez. And it is reprinted at Daredevil Volume 1, Devil at Bay Trade Paperback, which is available now. And of course, it is available on Comixology, Marvel Digital, and Digital Unlimited. So jumping into the first part of the story, we're in San Francisco. The deputy mayor's daughter has been kidnapped. A specialist has been called in to review the evidence. The specialist, Matt Murdock, now revealed to the world as Daredevil. On the kidnapped girl's doll, Matt finds stale talcum powder. On the recording of a phone call from the kidnappers, a large empty space, and a change of footsteps from linoleum to hardwood, much like a bowling alley. And on the ransom note, he finds a peculiar warmth, a signature of radioactivity. All the clues point to Treasure Island Naval Base, closed because of contamination from the atomic waste of incoming ships. As the police mobilize, so does Matt, but this time he's in the red tights of Daredevil. Let's take a moment here and talk about this introduction, because it's a great opening salvo. It doesn't start up with a catch-up page, not yet at least. It's not right at the beginning. This is a new city, a new volume, and a new vibe. And Wade draws us in right out of the gate. 
So to have that catch-up page like we had in Daredevil number one from 2011 would totally misfire. And as we look at the comic itself, we're immediately told what's going on. Girl kidnapped, here's what's going on. It's almost as straightforward as I did in the synopsis. The subtleties are great. For example, the deputy mayor in a family picture with her daughter is shown with another woman. The child has two moms. It's not pointed out. It's not saying, hey, looky here. It just is what it is, which I think is great. Now, I mentioned that really having the catch-up page or an overall here's the deal page at the beginning would have thrown this off, and it would have. This opening is pitch perfect. It's not a traditional Daredevil story because, well, the rules are broken now. Matt's secret is out of the bag. He's revealed to the world, so he's showing up using his Daredevil prowess as Matt, in public, openly. And in this case, Matt really comes off like Rain Man. It's very odd, it's really astute, almost Sherlock Holmesian, if that's a real term. Wade still has a tight grip on the abilities Matt possesses. Maybe a tighter grip and a better focus because, well, he's applying them in greater ways. All the clues we're seeing here are not only well thought out, but they're plausible and they're logical. And with Matt being unburdened by his secret identity, this becomes more of a, you know, it feels a little bit like an 80s action movie. Now, as to that, Matt had to admit he was Daredevil in the dramatic finale of the last volume. I don't really want to spoil a lot of the details of that story, because I feel like just saying that is enough, but that also got him disbarred in New York because, well, he lied about being Daredevil. So that's how we end up coming to San Francisco. And as mentioned, he's lived here before with the Black Widow, and that time was fairly short. Wade used that because you could practice law in a city that you had practiced before. But again, this is an opening that just gets your pulse pounding, and then, once we have that established, once Daredevil is swinging into action, we have these two catch-up pages, which are probably some of the best exposition I've ever seen. It's very Steranko, once again. A lot of concentric circles, showing scenes within it. It's very much like the opening credits of a TV show. In fact, if you were to look at the Marvel AR additional material on this, which is, if you don't know, where you can scan over certain symbols and certain pages and get additional material through your smartphone or tablet, you actually get a nice video bit of somebody reading this material. And, you know, I gotta tell you, we had... Rivera last week, Paolo Rivera as the artist. This week, we have Samney who came in early in the run and just owned it. Samney is already stepping up an already white hot game in this first issue. His style is very reminiscent of Mike Alred. There's an animated vibe to it, but again, he uses a lot of angles. And I love especially this page that's kind of explaining the transition because we have the skyline of San Francisco, but there are patches where we see New York because Matt's not used to this. He's stating, well, I used to go to this water tower. I used to use this to springboard off that. And that's gone. Matt is out of his element, which is what's going to make the next segment of this story that much more exciting. So let's take a look at that. Jumping back in. The good news is Daredevil has the girl. The bad news is the kidnappers have techno armor and green goblin-like gliders, and they're in pursuit. But Daredevil is in contact with Kirsten McDuffie, who is acting as his eye in the sky, and he needs her to plot him a course through his new city. As Daredevil makes a leap through the air, he collides with a glider and loses his grip on the little girl. He desperately dives to catch her, simultaneously hooking the glider. And when Daredevil catches the girl, he recoils the line, launching them up, where Daredevil's foot collides with the kidnapper's helmet. Back on course, Daredevil manages to get to a perch to catch his breath. Trying to console the little girl, he compliments her watch. But it turns out that it's not a watch. It's a bracelet. So, where's the ticking that Matt's hearing coming from? Oh, that's right. It's an explosive device, which is actually inside the little girl. 
So with things going from bad to worse, Daredevil uses a nerve to render the girl unconscious, then begins a race to stop this rescue from becoming an explosion. I'm going to stop again for just a moment. The story simply doesn't let up. We drop in and we just move at full force up until almost the end of the issue. Wade is making sure that we are as lost and crazed as Matt. It's almost like Memento, where we were put in the head of Leonard because every time that we would move forward, we would jump backwards continuously. It took us out of our element. It destabilized our perception. So by jumping from Matt leaping off to rescue the girl to the rescue being taken care of, but the pursuit in progress, we're immediately very, very confused. However, I've pieced that together and I'm going to get to that in just a second. One more note, the tech suits on the kidnappers are cool. I know that's not that constructive, but I like the look that they have no faces and the gliders are very hobgoblin-like. But not having their faces exposed, even with just a visor across their eyes, makes them almost intimidating because you can't read them. Again, adding to that destabilization of our perception. Now, as mentioned, I have pieced together what happened off panel. See, Treasure Island is a man-made island in the San Francisco Bay. So, getting there, Matt probably broke in with stealth, got the girl out. That's fine. So, how did we get here? Well, let's fire up Google Maps. So, if we start at Treasure Island, it's about an 11-mile trek across the Oakland Bay Bridge to get to where Matt's going to land, which is defined in just a moment. 11 miles, which Google Maps chalked up to a 33-minute drive. I don't think that's accurate, but 11 miles. So there are two levels to this bridge, an upper and a lower, which means Daredevil is likely swinging and probably hitching rides on cars, but this whole time he's got this little girl under his arms for 11 miles, probably a little bit more than that, at least 11 and a half, to get from the island itself to the bridge. This could be both exciting, but it could also be boring, However, that connective tissue would actually, well, render us in step with what's going on. So removing it was a wise, wise decision because where we pick up is Daredevil actually arriving back on the mainland 11 miles later. And how do we know it's the mainland? How do I know 11 miles? Well, we see Daredevil running past a giant sculpture of a bow and arrow in the ground, which is Cupid's Span, which sits in Rincon Park. Now, this is a nice piece of symbolism because Rincon is actually Spanish for angle or corner. So Daredevil's cornered, you see? I don't know if that was intentional, but darn it, does it work. Daredevil mentions he's heading northwest. I say this because looking at the angle of the picture and working with Google Street View and the direction of the sculpture in the image, it's actually accurate. Daredevil is drawn as if he is actually moving northwest through Rincon Park and running along the waterfront at the same time. And then Kirsten instructs Matt to swing west at the Embacadero. This is still accurate. Daredevil mentions he's on market, and it is actually directly west of the marketplace. Essentially, we have a map-accurate sequence here. Adding to the chaos is the fact that, well, since Daredevil is in contact with Kirsten, using a comm link in one ear, it renders him deaf in that ear. So he's disabled a little bit, which allows one of the gliders to sneak up on him, and that's when we have this heart-stopping moment as the little girl falls from Daredevil's grasp. She falls into a flock of birds, and the flapping wings disguise her. I'll be honest with you, I held my breath the first time that happened. Even though in the back of my head, I'm pretty certain the girl's going to come out of this okay, I held my breath because it is such a suspenseful moment. And that is followed by a cheer-worthy moment, as Daredevil not only catches the girl, he zips back up and kicks the kidnapper in the face. Just a great moment, a great action beat. I loved it to death. Now, I should mention... All of the accuracy in the location is from Kirsten using Google Maps in the story. That's how she's directing Matt. 
And then we come to the oh shit moment. Things are already bad. We've got pursuers. We've got a kid that's confused. Daredevil's lost. If it wasn't just that, let's add a bomb to it and see what happens. This was the moment when I said I'm committing to this series till the end. As long as this creative team is writing Daredevil, I will be reading it. Because not only was it unique in the confusion that it caused, not only was it great because of that heart-stopping moment and the zipping back up, now we've raised the stakes in a way that, damn it, I didn't see coming. It's like Superman's double jeopardy scene. Not only does he have to catch Lois, now he's got to catch the helicopter. That's where Daredevil is, so I'm ready to jump back into the final part of this and wrap up this story. Daredevil tells Kirsten to guide him to a hospital, and one with more than one floor. Racing against time and the itchy trigger fingers of the kidnappers on detonators, Matt reaches a hospital and jumps aboard an elevator. This successfully stops the signal from the detonators, allowing Daredevil some freedom, which he uses to jump through a window and smash the kidnapper right in his helmeted face. Three days later, at the new offices of McDuffie and Murdoch, the deputy mayor arrives to extend her thanks. In the conversation, the deputy mayor mentions that Matt had another partner in New York. Matt looks at an urn, and on the wall are pictures of Foggy Nelson, and he says, yes, I did, and he was the best. Elsewhere, Foggy Nelson sits in a dark room watching the proceedings on camera and thinks to himself, was? And so ends Daredevil number one. So a real nail-biter, fast-paced introductory issue. Now to get back to a little bit of geography, just to get it out of the way, the action moves to St. Francis Hospital, which is a real hospital. It's about two miles away from the marketplace. So everything we've seen, once again, accurate to the location. In fact, this is rendered Perfectly. Looking at a picture of the hospital, it has a distinctive look, distinctive windows, and those windows are represented. So kudos to this team again. Daredevil uses the concept called a Faraday cage, which is why he goes into the elevator. This is a real thing. Normally it's a mesh cage that blocks signal. Another phenomenal idea from Wade. Really, it's amazing how much Wade comes up with. He's never burned himself out yet. Even on the current run, which of course this volume is actually the volume that's currently on stands as you hear this even though this creative team is to be leaving right around issue 18. But even up to date, the book has remained consistently great, breaking new ground, which is odd because, again, no reinvention of the wheel, new spokes. Probably the best thing you can do with Daredevil because the best parts of him are just intrinsic to the concept. Using his intelligence, as well as his physical attributes, is right in Mark Wade's wheelhouse. This is a great character for Wade. I'm not going to shortchange Samney because, really, i got to be honest with you, the page in which we see Daredevil crashing through the window. And we see this in the reflection of the kidnapper's helmet. So all we see is Daredevil coming at us through the window is simply put the best page in the book. A great climax, even though we don't see a real fight, we get it. And we get it very clearly and very concisely and beautifully. And we move from there to kind of the wrap up at the office. Kirsten's name on the office doors is regular size, while Matt's is incredibly small. And a running gag that's going to be going on, which will include such instances as Matt's name being listed as Magoo Murdoch, which had me laugh out loud in public, at which people stared. But you know what? I'm enjoying this book. To fill in a gap, we find out the deputy mayor's name is Charlotte Hastert. And again, no ransom, no clue who the kidnappers are or what they're after. Who would do such a thing as to put a bomb in a little girl? Well, that's definitely a great mystery, don't you think? It definitely lends itself to being an intriguing issue. Much like last week's issue, Mark Wade decides, okay, I'm going to get your attention just by telling you a good story, and then I'm going to hook you in even further with a great closing sequence. And you know what? It's worked on me twice now. 
what can I say? This is one of the best Daredevil runs, and when it's all said and over, we're going to be looking back at this as a golden age. I really hope, and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, but I have all the confidence in the world that Wade and Sammy are going to just bring this into a great landing and it'll be a legendary run. However, in my heart of hearts, there's a part of me that hopes that whoever the next creative team is, they manage to eclipse this, because you know why? We win. Saying this now, that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be an incredible challenge. Following this act is not something I envy. It's just so good. Why is it so good? Again, we don't reinvent the wheel. We just take what's there. Mark Wade sees what's great in Matt, what I've been talking about for, what is it, 52 episodes now, and he puts it to use. In every conceivable way, he puts the best parts of Matt Murdock to use on the page, and he's paired with some of the best artists in the industry. Wade gets Matt. Wade sees that the man is the important part. And Wade has introduced a lot of great things. The idea of, well, another spoiler if you don't mind, but the idea that Matt suffers from depression, which, looking at Matt, is perfectly applicable. It makes such sense. And Matt is, essentially, even continuing from last week in that same thought process, Matt's self-medicating. And a lot of people who do suffer from depression do that. They self-medicate. They want to push through. Because maybe a part of them feels like it's weakness. I don't know what the motivation is. But depression is relentless. Add to that that Matt has a lot of circumstances that don't allow him to really overcome that very often. I mean, let's be honest, Matt's been through some shit. But Wade not only says that, that Matt has depression, Wade's shown us that Matt can overcome, because Matt's attitude is never give up. And that is kind of part of the hero that Matt is, and that's what Wade defines in his run. Yes, Matt has things working against him, including his own body, his own senses, his own chemical balances within his brain. But Matt doesn't give up. He pushes through one way or another. And I know what you're thinking, and I thought it too. Your heart probably stopped when we talked about Foggy and the Urn. Again, going into spoiler territory, Foggy had developed cancer. It was a big part of the previous volume, led to some incredibly touching moments that I'm not going to lie, I'm masculine enough to admit it, I shed some tears. Mainly because of my love for both these characters and their friendship. Foggy's a key part of Daredevil. I've said it time and time again. That's his best friend, his brother, his conscience, his Jiminy Cricket. And the idea that Foggy is going through something that Matt can't punch. Again, that's something Wade is mining. Wade knows how to get to the real weaknesses in Matt. Oh, you've got a problem with the Kingpin? Well, fight. Electra gets killed by Bullseye? Fight. Foggy has cancer. Matt can't do squat, except be his friend. And just be there. And there were scenes that were just relentless on an emotional level. Because of all the chemotherapy going through Foggy, Matt is smelling things in the air that we wouldn't. And it's putrid, it nauseates him, but damn it, Matt stands by Foggy. So there was a moment there where my heart stopped, because the idea of losing Foggy is just... It would kill Matt. It would kill him. There's no coming back from losing Foggy. Period. There's no argument. Matt losing Karen is one thing. Matt losing Electra, Echo, Heather... Those, yes, they meant something to him. They were important to him. He loved them in varying ways. But Foggy, Foggy is something that's part of Matt's soul. Foggy's been there since the death of Jack Murdock. Foggy's been by him even when Foggy found out Matt was Daredevil. Let me point that out. Foggy found out Matt was Daredevil. Matt did not reveal this secret to Foggy, which, damn it, that's always going to stick in my craw. But Foggy found out. Which would feel like a betrayal because Matt has been lying to his best friend for years. And yet Foggy forgave. There's no links that this relationship can go that they can't come back from. 
period. With the one exception being Foggy dying, or Matt dying. It was too much, and it's revealed here that, well, Foggy's watching this on a view screen. I'm not going to spoil how this plays out. I'm just not. It was that moment that I realized that I wasn't coming back for the great setup or the action elements or the new city. I was coming back because, damn it, I have to know if Foggy's okay and what the hell's going on. Wade hooked me in my feels. Wade knows exactly what he's crafting at all times. And it's rare for me to even see something where I say, nope, that didn't work. So I'm going to get into this more in just a moment. First, I want to talk about some of the alternate covers real quick. We talked about the main one. There's another cover by from Paolo Rivera. This cover has this blue background with an etching sort of style cityscape behind him. And Daredevil's once again swinging. I hate to say this, but it's all right. I like Rivera's art. This just doesn't come across very well, especially in comparison to some of the other covers. We have an alternate Chris Samney animal cover, which is kind of his shtick, in which Daredevil is depicted as looks like a mouse in a Daredevil costume, surrounded by mouse traps with cheese on them. Now this, this I love. This I, I actually normally keep my digital copies of Daredevil. I buy the physical, I read it, I give that away to somebody who would like to read it. But this, this is a physical copy I had to keep because the cover is just that fantastic. Everywhere Matt looks, there's this temptation. The temptation to not play it safe. To risk himself for other people, for the right thing, for the law. And this depicts Matt's internal struggle that that's everywhere. It also depicts Matt as being, you know, kind of a cocky creature in himself. That you know he's going to try to get every piece of cheese. It says a lot without doing a lot. And I really, really like it. The next variant was by Scotty Young, who's, well, his shtick is cartoony baby style pictures. And this has Daredevil as a baby walking across some tight ropes. I'm just going to say it. It's, it's adorable. I like this one a lot. I'm not going to lie. I think it's adorable. And I would love to get a baby daredevil tattoo drawn by Scotty Young. That would be superb. That's one of my goals, and I should put it on the list. And the final variant cover is by Alex Ross. It's kind of the epic that went along with the Marvel anniversary. Daredevil stands, and basically within the concentric circles of his radar, you see all the relevant bits of his life, being bullied, Jack Murdock. You see Matt in his gear. The great thing is Ross actually has... Daredevil standing in full figure with with Matt standing in profile. Matt's much larger. However, these two meet, so the concentric circles actually come off both of them. It's a nice image that sums up Murdoch in one fell swoop. However, I would compare it to Daredevil number 500, which kind of put the entire cast of every Daredevil issue ever on there. Between those two, I'm going to lead towards Daredevil 500. However, this was a fantastic, fantastic image. And I did run into a poster of it while at Marvel Islands of Adventure. And I was this close to buying it. The only thing that stopped me was the idea that, well, that poster's not making it back on a plane, is it? So, this is going to be pretty predictable. But my final verdict is very, very positive. However, having said that, since the goal of Daredevil 101 is to try to find jumping on points, well, this isn't exactly it. It's more of a sequel, more of a pit stop, if you will, in a great journey. I still stand by my edict that last week's Daredevil number 1 from 2011 is the best starting point. However, this is a great continuing point as a sequel of sorts. I mean, this one has all the action. It doesn't dwell on its newness. It doesn't say, look at me, we're in a new location. It just moves forward, which is what it should do. It's what Matt does. It's intrinsic to the character. And it does it so well and hooks you in the end that before you know it, you're already rushing to the store just waiting for that second issue to come out. And Chris Samney... Let me say something about Chris Samney. To me, Chris Samney owns Daredevil now. He's carried the torch. He is the modern-day Gene Colan, somebody who has made a distinctive visual stamp on the character, 
and one that I'm going to miss terribly when this creative team does leave the book. And as for the future from here, the run remains consistent month to month. We have the reintroduction of old villains and former heroes along with heroes that may be villains. And for the moment, it really is one of the most satisfying reads month to month without fail. So I think I'm going to finish gushing there and just say, yes, this is a great run. But start at the beginning. Start with Daredevil number one in 2011. Pick this up along the way. Just go all the way to the end. Next week, though, next week we go ultimate as we look at an alternate version of Daredevil. That is in seven short days. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show via the RSS link, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Email for the show can be submitted to dave at daredevilpodcast.com or through the website's handy contact form. The show is on Facebook. Simply search for Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists solely for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening. It's times like these you learn to live again. It's times like these you learn to live again.
again It's times like these you give and give again It's times like these you learn to love again It's times like these time and time